Amen. Man. Thanks, guys. That was awesome. Perfect for what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, wow, Mark, I don't usually get nervous, but when you start talking about return on investment, my heart started beating fast. I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I prepared for that. I got to step it up this morning. So I'll give you my best, uh, but I'll say this. A lot of people ask after going to seminary. The joke is that they call seminary cemetery because it's where your faith goes to die. You get lost in the books and uh, you just study, study, study. And all of a sudden, you just think so hard that you just don't believe anymore. Uh, but that didn't happen, so I'm here to tell you that that didn't happen. And uh, if I could say what seminary taught me in one sentence uh, is this, that God cares about what he has created. God cares about what he's created. And you see that all throughout the Bible. Uh, even when you look at a story like the Exodus in Pharaoh, and you go, man, how could God care about Pharaoh? Like, he just wiped out Egypt. And it was God's mercy uh, to give not just one plague, not just two plagues, not just three plagues, but ten plagues because he cared about the Egyptians and he wanted to give them every last bit of chance to repent from their wickedness and turn back to him. God cares about you and he cares about your enemies. Uh, He does because he created them. And I'd say that's the thing that I took away and learned. So there's your nugget. Save you a lot of money. Um, And a lot of time learning ancient languages that you don't even get to speak once you learn them. So, uh, <laughs> But all, in all seriousness, I really love y'all. I'm very grateful uh, for the last year and grateful for y'all's investment in me. And it's really special to be back and to see y'all. It's awesome to see all these students up here in the front. This is pretty cool. So Tanner, you're doing a great job wherever you are. Where are Where's Tanner? Hey, yeah, Tanner is amazing. One of my favorite things is uh, when I talk about the church that I've come from, uh, I get to talk about how awesome it is that they brought in somebody that I completely trust and think is doing an amazing job. And it's just so fun to brag on where the ministry is now uh, because of you, Tanner. So thanks for stepping in, man, and doing a fantastic job. So if you have a Bible, open it up to John chapter 12. That's where we are today. John chapter 12. I'm going to read some verses and then we will jump in. John chapter 12, starting in verse 23. Before I do that, let me start my clock because Mark's got me on a pitch count this morning. Starts now, Mark. (laughs) Everything before this didn't matter. All right, I'm wasting time. John chapter 12, starting in verse 23 says this, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And then jumping down to verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. 28,835. Do any of y'all know what that number represents? 28,835. Any guesses? Throw something out. 
That is the average lifespan for an American in days. That is the number of days on average that makes up one life. Uh, Some get more, some get less. Uh, I don't know where you fall on that. Some of you are early on in your days. Some of you are further on in your days. I'm going to look over y'all's heads. Some of you are further on in your days and pretending like you're earlier on in your days, right? Uh, I don't know where you fall on it, but what I do know is that we have this one. We do have today. We have been given this one out of the 28,835, and we have this moment. And I know that today God wants to have a personal conversation with you. Wherever you fall on your day count, he's picked today to open up his word and to speak to you. And not just to us, but to you specifically this morning. And I'm going to use the word you a lot in this sermon because John uses the word you. He wants to talk to you, and he wants to talk to you about eternal life. A personal conversation with Jesus. There's a guy named Richard Bauckham who is a really famous New Testament scholar, and he has a great book on John, and he talks about the the differences in the Gospels. And he says the Gospel of John is the most individualistic of the Gospels. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three of those, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are very similar. A lot of the same stories, uh, a lot of the same message, kind of very similar telling of the Bible. Unique in their own ways, but similar. John is very different. Tells stories that the other Gospels don't tell. Uh, John had a very personal friendship with Jesus, So he gives you this different perspective, and all throughout the book of John, what Bauckham says is John is trying to communicate to you about your individual personal relationship with Jesus. What is your friendship with Jesus like? In the Gospel of John, there's seven stories where Jesus is in a private, one-on-one conversation that is extended dialogue with this person. None of the other Gospels are like that. At one point, he talks to someone who's a skeptic, doesn't really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and he talks to him in an individual conversation. Another point, uh, there's a woman whose brother died, and she's grieving his death, and Jesus meets with her for a conversation. At another point, there's a religious leader, uh, a Bible nerd, who has some questions about life, and he studies the Bible really, really hard, and he goes to Jesus in private at night to have a conversation with Jesus about life. Uh, There's another one at the end of John where there's a man who has made some big mistakes in his life, and he's living in shame, and he's in need of forgiveness, and Jesus meets him on the shore uh, to have a personal conversation conversation with that man. So I don't know if you relate to any of those. Maybe you're grieving, maybe you're living in shame, maybe you're a skeptic and you're not sure about this uh, Christianity. Maybe you're seeking truth. There's another conversation he has with a man who is not sure what to believe because there's so much to believe in the world. Uh, Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're bringing something else today into this room. But what I know is that Jesus wants to have a personal conversation with you this morning. So I want to pray, but before I do, I want you to think about what is that thing that you are thinking about? What is that thing you're bringing into this room? Maybe you came here with a lot of purpose and said, I have this problem and I need Jesus today. Maybe you've been tracking through John with the church and you're loving it and you're in it and you just can't wait to read John 12 today. Or maybe you just showed up and the last thing you're thinking about is church and Jesus and God, but you're here. And you have this day, 28,835, and you have this day, and it could change the rest of them. So I want you to think about what do you need 
What is your unique individual circumstance that you're carrying with you? What answers do you need? Uh, do you need what grief do you have? What forgiveness are you seeking? So I want to pray for us with that in mind. Think about what is your need this morning. So Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the life that is found in your word. And if you would, church, I just ask you, think about that thing. And would you pray and ask that God would speak to you personally this morning? That just like Jesus met with all those people throughout the book of John and met them at their specific need, pray and ask that Jesus would meet you at your specific need this morning. Father, we love you. Would you use your word? Would you use this day out of our 28,000? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So where we find ourselves in the book of John is chapter 12, and that's important for this reason. Uh, Scholars typically break down John, when they try to understand it, to two sections, chapters 1 through 12 and chapters 13 through 21. Everything that happened in chapters 1 through 12, everything you've been going through as a church together is Jesus' public ministry. He's been preaching. He's been performing miracles. He has been in the public eye. Next week, you're going to flip the page into chapter 13, and you're going to enter, enter into a private dinner with Jesus and his disciples. And for five chapters, you're going to stay in that private dinner. And then after that, Jesus will be betrayed He'll be arrested, he'll be crucified, and he'll be resurrected. Spoiler alert, if you don't know the story, my bad. Uh, but where we are today is important because we're, we're at the last point of Jesus' public ministry. What does Jesus want to say to the crowds? And after this, you're going to enter into a private dinner. What does Jesus want to say to his friends? And you have an opportunity today to go from being in the crowd watching Jesus to being at the dinner table dining with Jesus. And I don't want you to miss this Sunday and step into next and not be able to understand the dinner table conversation because you didn't understand the conversation he was having with the crowds. So what has he been saying for the last 12 chapters? I'll tell you. He's been saying that he is eternal life. He has been saying, I am life. That's what he's been saying. He said the word uh, for eternal life, for life, Zoe. He says it, there you go, seminary, woo, Greek. Uh, He says it 32 times in chapters 1 through 12. He'll say it four times in chapter 13 and beyond. He's been preaching about eternal life. He's been performing miracles that force you to either believe or not believe. And all throughout, we've been watching people encounter Jesus and hear him preach and either believe in his message or walk away. And hear him perform, or watch him perform miracles and either believe that he's the Son of God or walk away. So the question today is, will you believe or will you not? That is the doorway to eternal life. The conversation Jesus wants to have with you. He wants to meet you in your grief. He wants to meet you in your fear. He wants to meet you in your sin and shame. And he wants you to then believe in him and have eternal life. And when we think about eternal life, what do we think about? Life after death, right? That's what I think about. Uh, I don't think about my present. It doesn't feel relevant. 
uh, I think, yes, I believe in Jesus and I'll go to heaven one day. But what's interesting is John doesn't use the future tense verb when he talks about having eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. It's not future. It's present. Eternal life isn't only what happens after you die. It's what you can have right now. 28,835 days. How many of those will you use walking in eternal life? And how many will you use uh, just kind of making the most of life that you can? Right? Eternal life is relevant to us now. We can have it if we believe in Jesus. That's what he's saying. If we believe in Jesus. So, where we are at in John is this last message that Jesus is going to preach to the public. And this is the point of going from the crowd to the dinner table. And you want to go, how do I get to the dinner table? You read what scripture we just read. So starting in uh, John 23, going to read it again. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So all through these 12 chapters, it's the time is coming. But now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What is he talking about? What is the glory of the Son of Man? Well, like I said, he's about to be betrayed, arrested, crucified, and resurrected. The glorified Jesus is Jesus on the cross. That is what he's talking about. The hour is coming. In just a couple nights, Jesus is going to be hanging on a cross, breathing his last breath, uh, his last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's the hint that he gives. Hey, the hour's come. The Son of Man's about to be glorified. Let me give you a riddle. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What's about to happen to Jesus? He's that grain of wheat that's going to fall into the earth and die and bear fruit for your life, for my life, for that which he created that's what's happening right now. That's the movement. And you go, all right, why is it? When you think of glory, uh, you probably don't think of humiliation. You probably don't think of someone dead on a cross and go, oh, that's God in all his glory. If I was to say, when you think of God in all his glory and majesty and power, what do you picture? You would probably say, I picture something like this. The, can you pull up the James Webb telescope photo? So there's a telescope that NASA shot up into space. I don't know if you've seen these photos. They're pretty amazing. Uh, just recently got photos, and they shot this telescope beyond, I don't understand science, but beyond some cloud of dust that keeps other telescopes from being able to see things far out. This is 2,000 light years away. This is real, by the way. This isn't like a artist did this. This is a real photo of 2,000 light years away in space that we have captured. And when you think about God and all his glory and power and majesty, you might think of something like this. That's like, he created that. That's crazy. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, yeah, that's amazing. But the heavens are declaring the glory of God. The heavens are proclaiming his handiwork. That uh, the guy in NASA who was in this New York Times article, his name's Bill Nelson. 
he was talking about this image, and he said, these images, including the deepest infrared view of our universe that have ever been taken, show us how Webb will help to uncover the answers to questions we don't even yet know to ask, questions that will help us better understand our universe and humanity's place within it. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, hey, we're searching for life. Is there life outside of Earth? Let's shoot this telescope up there and see what we can find. And when he looks at that, he says, wow, this telescope is helping us uh, to find answers to questions we don't even know yet to ask, questions that will help us better understand our universe. And you see these scientists peering into space, searching for life, searching for answers, searching for meaning. What is our place in this universe? And space is peering back to them and declaring the glory of God and saying, you're not going to find it here. You're going to find it at the cross because that's where God is most glorious. If you go in the Old Testament, you'll see this story with Moses. Moses is the guy that led the people out of the, uh, Egypt through the Red Sea, all that stuff. He goes up on this mountain with God, and he says, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see this. Like, will you let me see you? And God says, you know what? If you see me, uh, you won't be able to handle it. It'll be too much and you'll die. But what I'll do is I'll put you in this rock. You'll turn your back and I'll walk by you. You'll see my shadow and I'll say my name. You won't see my glory, but you'll hear my glory. And when he walks by, do you know what he says? He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you go, what is the glory of God? Who is he in his innermost character? He is merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger. I don't know what you think about when you think about God, but that is who he is. Where in human history, where in the galaxy has merciful, gracious, abounding in steadfast love and slow to anger been displayed most? The cross of Jesus Christ. He said his glory to Moses, he showed his glory to us on the cross. We get what Moses didn't. We get to see a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And when we look to this, this is telling us, no, find life in Jesus Christ. Don't find life in searching for space. It's amazing. Don't even find life in the scriptures. It's amazing, but the scriptures are pointing to Jesus. Jesus tells the religious leaders this. He'll sit down with them and they'll go, hey, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life. You don't know that it's they that are bearing witness to me. Studying the scriptures is amazing. I just spent a year basically doing only that, and it was awesome. But it's worthless if I don't discover Jesus in it. There's no life in this apart from Jesus. Science is awesome. We should keep throwing telescopes up that give us awe and beauty and give us images like this and help us understand things. But science is worthless if what we don't hear it saying is life is found in Jesus Christ. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have life. It's they that bear witness about Jesus. You search the stars because you think that in them there might be life. It's they that are bearing witness to Jesus. God's glory is on the cross. Unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is giving you a hint into what's about to happen in the next, uh, I don't know, eight chapters uh, of the gospel. Verse 25 Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. There we go. Verse 25. 
Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Uh, This is a tough one, right? You probably read this and go, the more I look at it, the harder it is to understand, so I'm just going to keep reading. Uh, I do that sometimes, right? Just reading the Bible and going, that doesn't make sense, we'll just keep going. Uh, And you kind of want to do this with this, like, yeah, the one who loves his life will lose it, hates his life, will keep it for eternal life. All right, um, next, next, you know, let's get to the dinner with Jesus. Let let him wash my feet, that's better. Uh, I like the Jesus that feeds Me bread in the crowd and turns water into wine, but this Jesus hate your life? I don't know about that. That seems like not the message, right? Uh, But what is he saying? Here we go. This will be seminary. This is fun for you. Uh, That word that he uses when he says he'll lose it, the one who loves his life loses it, the same word is used in battle imagery. When they say someone will lose their life in battle, they'll be destroyed in the war. So the one who loves his life will be destroyed in battle. Why? Why? Because if you go into war and your highest priority is your self-preservation, what's going to happen? When the moment to be a hero comes your way and you get to rise to the occasion and the battle cry goes off and you run into battle, but your highest motivation is self-preservation, love of your own life, what are you going to do? Turn around, right? You're going to be like, get me behind a boulder. I remember playing paintball as a junior high kid. That was my mindset. I was like, I ain't taking one of these bullets, you know? I'm going to hide back here. Loved my own life, right? But if you want to be a hero, if you want to gain life, if you want to win the battle and win the war, what do you have to do? You have to hate your life. Hate your life. You have to replace a love of self with a greater love. A love for your brothers, your sisters, your family back home. This battle matters. If we lose it, they're going to get to my family. I have to hate my life and lay it down if I want to keep it when I go to war. But if I love my life, I'll lose it in the battle. And the reality is, is this life is way more like a battle than we think. Way more like a battle than we think. And when you look at the cross of Christ, you have the opportunity to see sacrificial love in its fullest and follow in his footsteps. How do you hate your life? Look to the cross. Jesus is modeling it for you, and he's inviting you into it. That's what eternal life is, a life lived close to the cross of Jesus, giving your life for your wife, for your husband, for your kids, for your neighbors. Uh, A really good imagery of this, Jesus gives it to us, so... Thanks, Jesus. Uh, This is not my image, so this will be even better. But he tells a story in Luke called uh, The Rich Fool. And he talks about this man who's really wealthy, and he gets a really good production in his harvest. And he's like, man, what am I going to do with all this stuff? I already have a ton of money, and I already have a lot in my storehouses. My barns are full, but I just brought in a lot. And he goes, you know what I'll do? I'll tear down these barns, I'll rebuild bigger ones, and I'll store them up, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And God says, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. Your 28,000 are up. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What does it mean to love your life? It means to just 
tear down your barns and build bigger ones and say to your soul, I'll be safe and secure. And it's easier today because you don't have to build a barn. You can just get a new investment account, right? You can just shovel it away into retirement or whatever, uh, which put money into retirement, that's great. But, um, <laughs> uh, but is that your mindset that my safety and my security is the most important thing and I find that in my career, I find that in my money. Uh, where are you looking for life? Where are you looking for safety and security? Or are you being rich towards God? That's what it means to hate your life, to lay it down for others. And he says, that is eternal life. You'll lose it if you just build more barns. You'll keep it if you are rich toward God and rich towards others. The glory of God on the cross of Christ becomes our motivation for that is so much greater than a love of self. Some of us are just loving our own selves and that's what we're living for. And Jesus is walking up to you today and saying, bring me your problem and then let me talk to you about eternal life in me and how there's something more for you. And I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what you're bringing. I don't know what you're searching for, but you can look out into the stars and they're gonna tell you this is about Jesus, about Jesus. And then the last verse. Verse 36 and 37. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And this might be one of the saddest verses in your Bible. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. When he had said these things, the last 12 chapters, hey, life is in me, life is in me, life is in me. I'm a a grain of wheat falling into the ground You can have eternal life now. It's not something later. It's something just believe in me and you can have access to it. He's performing miracles and people are saying, ah, do I believe him? Do I not? And then he gets to the end of chapter 12, about to go to the private dinner. Though he had done all these things, they still did not believe. And I just think the question for us is, will we believe? We're at the end of chapter 12. Next week, Mark's gonna take you into dinner with Jesus. I think, right? He's going to take you to the dinner table. The question is, do you want to dine with Jesus starting today? Your day on the 28,835, will you believe today? And will you start dining today? Not after you die and go to heaven. Will you dine today? Some of you are just kind of towing the line, getting close. I'm going in the shadows. My bad, lights people. Uh, Some people are kind of towing the line, saying, I want to live my life. I want to store up barns. I want to be rich and safe and secure. And then right before I die, I'm going to reach out and grab it and put my faith in Jesus, and I'll go to heaven. That's not the message. That's not the gospel. That's not the message of John. That's not salvation. Salvation is for you today. You can have it today. You can have eternal life today. And yes, it's gonna be mixed in and interwoven with the world and it's gonna be hard because we're still living in it, but you could have life today. You can be at the dinner table with Jesus today. You can go from being in the crowd. Maybe you have been showing up to this church for years or months and you really like it and you really like Mark and you really like the friends you've made and your students are doing great in Tanner's student ministry and you're loving it and you're going, but if deep down in my heart, I'm really not in. I've never really made the decision uh, to believe in Jesus. But I come and it kind of looks like I do and I'm towing the line. But are you dining with Jesus? Do you have that intimacy with him? Or are you still a part of the crowd trying to decide whether you're going to believe or not? 
So what I want to do is I want to pray for us. But before I do, um, I just want to give you that opportunity. I think just praying for this morning, uh, I'm not usually like a big response guy, but I was just thinking about, man, we have the opportunity to go from being in the crowd to being at the dinner table. And you can go from being in this room this morning where you've just kept showing up every week because your family likes it and it's good for you, uh, but you're not really in, and you're not really engaged in the word, and uh, you're thinking more about your investments and your career and your job when you come into this place than you are about sitting at the dinner table with Jesus. And I want to give you the opportunity today to just finally make that decision and say, I don't want to be in the crowd anymore. I want to be at the dinner table. Next Sunday when I show up, I want to sit down like I'm having a meal with Jesus. And when Mark opens up that word, I'm opening up that word. And we're saying, let's talk, Jesus, because there's life in you. And I haven't found it anywhere else. I'm not finding it in self-help books. It's not answering my questions. I'm not finding it in investments. I'm not finding it in career. I'm not finding it in relationships. I keep striking out. Jesus isn't coming in and shaming you for that. He's coming in trying to have that private conversation with you and say, what is it where you've been searching for life? Let me redirect you to me. Because eternal life is found in Jesus. You can have access to it today. So let's just bow our heads and pray. And if you feel like that's you this morning, that you... Everybody in here, your family, they, they might, they probably think you're a Christian. And, and that's fine. But in your heart of hearts, you know uh, that you really haven't fully surrendered to belief in Jesus and you're still loving your own life. But you want that to change today. Just let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. And if that's you, just as I was praying about it, I felt like there's men in this church specifically. I felt like God was just saying, man, just talk about the men in the church. That there's some dads in here, there's some husbands in here that have been a part of this church for a while, but they haven't fully decided to believe in Jesus for eternal life. And maybe you've been trying to just wait I want to keep living my life a little bit. It seems a little too hard. But I'm telling you, there's more life to be found at the dinner table with Jesus than when you're, where you're finding it right now. So maybe that's you. You're, you're a man in this church, and you're going, gosh, that's me. I've been doing it. I've been doing the Christian thing, but I don't really believe in Jesus. And I want to tell you, Jesus is inviting you, chapter 12, right now, to turn the page in your life and go to the dinner table with him for the rest of the 28,000 days of your life, wherever you are on that count. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, and I'm not going to ask you to stand up. Uh, I'm just going to ask you to pray. But I would love to know, and I know Mark would love to know, so don't be ashamed of it if that's you and and you've made that decision this morning uh, to go tell Mark and say, how do I dine with Jesus for the rest of my life? Or maybe you're, you are believing, you're going, hey, I'm not putting my faith in Jesus today. I've had my faith in Jesus, but I want to know how to dine with him. And if that's you, please go talk to Mark, go talk to Thomas. Say, I want to learn how to dine with Jesus. I want to know this life that John is telling me is found in him.